On April 15th, 2019, the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, France caught fire. The world watched in horror as immaculate medieval architecture burned before their very eyes. I was one of those people. I stopped what I was doing and watched live coverage of the fire for hours. As the spire collapsed into the flames, I found my eyes welling up. Live footage came in from every angle, showing the roof collapse, the spire fall, and Parisians gathering along the banks of the River Seine, watching the tragedy unfold. The loss of history was palpable. So this episode is devoted to the Notre Dame Cathedral and its incredibly storied history. My name is Jake Barton. Welcome to Historium. This is episode number 51, The Ghosts of Notre Dame. The island in the River Seine, where the Notre Dame Cathedral currently sits, was originally settled by Celtic tribes long before the Middle Ages. The island, called the Ile de la Cite, was the primary means of controlling the flow of trade goods along the river. The Gauls built a palace on the island and controlled the area until their brutal conquest by the Romans in 52 BCE. Now under Roman rule, the city was named Paris after the nearby Celtic tribe called the Parisi. The city, with its prime location on the Seine River, thrived and became a prosperous trading hub. The Romans built temples, baths, forums, and amphitheaters. On the island in the river, they constructed a temple to Jupiter, the head god of the Roman pantheon. This temple featured marble columns and massive pieces of mosaic art, but overall, not much is known about the Temple of Jupiter, and the ceremonies performed there remain shrouded in mystery. In the 3rd century CE, Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire, and the temple was rededicated to the new Christian religion. Just over a century later, Clovis, king of the Franks, named Paris as his capital in the year 508 CE. During this time, much of the Roman architecture was repurposed, Building projects utilized the marble columns and building materials from Roman temple ruins to make Christian churches of their own. In the 9th century, the Vikings began raiding deeper and deeper into mainland Europe. The legendary Viking leader Ragnar Lodbrok led an invasion force of hundreds of ships and thousands of Viking warriors. The current leader of West France, King Charles the Bald, assembled a small army to defend the city, but it was quickly defeated. Ragnar and the raiding Vikings breached the walls of the city and began pillaging and plundering whatever they found inside. The palace, situated on the island in the Seine River, was quickly overtaken. However, a plague soon ravaged the Vikings' main camp. Eventually, the plague-ridden Vikings returned from whence they came, with far less than they were hoping to pillage. Many French Christians regarded the plague as an act of God that saved the city. During the Middle Ages, Paris became the political, economic, religious, and cultural capital of France. Christianity thrived in the city, and in the year 1160, the Bishop of Paris, with the immense power that the Catholic Church held in the city, ordered the construction of an enormous cathedral on the Ile de la Cite. The bishop began planning and collecting funds. Pope Alexander III arrived in Paris in 1163 
to oversee the laying of the cornerstone at a massive ceremony that formerly began construction of the cathedral, hosted by the king himself. Over the course of the next several decades, the cathedral was built brick by brick. Revolutionary architectural techniques allowed the cathedral to be built larger than any other Catholic cathedral. Years passed as the cathedral was painstakingly constructed. A teenager watched with resentment as the choir was finally finished after he had hit puberty. Parisians near the island complained of the construction noise. Parishioners mourned as the archbishop who began the project passed away. A call for a third crusade echoed off the walls of the still incomplete cathedral. A new king of France was crowned as the high altar with its ornate statues and imagery were completed. Outside the cathedral, sculptors hung from scaffolding, slowly carving biblical scenes into the stone. These sculptures told stories from the Christian faith that allowed anyone who gazed upon it to be drawn into the horrors and understand the ramifications of their sin. This facade is known as the Poor People's Book because it allowed even the illiterate masses access to the story of Christianity. A few years later, the enormous carving depicting the fate of the faithless was completed. The snarling demons carrying away the non-believers struck fear in the hearts of many and compelled obedience and faith among Christians in the city. In 1225, a French knight, a veteran of the Battle of Bobinet, watched as the first flying buttresses of the cathedral took to the skies. He merely wished his friends, who had died in the battle against the Holy Roman Empire, had survived to see it. The flying buttresses were large support beams on the outside of the main building that supported the sprawling structure from the outside, allowing the cathedral to be built larger than any before it. Two decades later, the twin bell towers were completed, and the people of Paris heard the bells of Notre Dame for the first time. Many people who saw the beginning of the construction were long dead. Generations had lived and died as the cathedral slowly rose above the city. But as the age-old adage goes, a society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they know they shall never sit. Great, great, great grandchildren of the Parisians who watched the first stone be placed all those years ago, now watched as the enormous spire now rose above the cathedral. The cloister of Notre Dame occupied the whole area of the island north of the cathedral. It was not a cloister in the traditional sense, but actually a small city enclosed by a wall where the clerical community of Notre Dame lived and worked. It also included a large garden on the eastern end of the island. In the 11th century, the first school in Paris was established there, teaching young boys reading, the catechism, and choral singing. In the early 12th century, schools teaching these basic subjects were spread throughout the city, while the school of Notre Dame itself concentrated on higher education, grammar, rhetoric, dialectics, music, arithmetic, geometry, and astrology. The school of Notre Dame, a bastion for learning, became famous throughout Europe. Over the years, it produced seven popes and 29 cardinals for the Catholic Church. In the beginning of the 14th century, Towering trees, all hundreds of years old, were cut and taken into the city, onto the island where Notre Dame was almost complete. These gigantic timbers were used to build the attic of the cathedral. 
The pillars and support columns that bore the weight of the roof were called the forest. To prevent water damage, drainage pipes were set up to spout water off of the sides of the flying buttresses. These spouts made a gurgling sound that sounded like growling. Snarling monsters were placed on the ends of these spouts and were called gargoyles, after the French word gargle. Priests would look out in heavy storms to see these gargoyles spewing water from their mouths, protecting the church from water damage. It was now the year 1330, and the Notre Dame Cathedral was formally finished, nearly 170 years after construction began. The cathedral was filled with medieval religious art, stained glass windows, and important relics from Christianity's past. These included a fragment of the cross that Christ was crucified on, and the crown of thorns that was placed mockingly on the Savior's head during his execution. All of these items may not be the originals, but they held immense value to the Catholic Church, and were now confidently stored in Paris's crowning architectural achievement. Philosopher, theologian, and political writer John of Gendoun exclaimed his awe with the structure in the mid-1300s, proclaiming, quote, That most glorious church of the most glorious Virgin Mary, Mother of God, deservedly shines out like the sun among stars, unquote. As the French and English battled it out over what house would rule what lands, war-weary Parisians sought solace in the cathedral, now a symbol of a peaceful time before what historians now call the Hundred Years' War. When France was eventually victorious, if you could even call it that after over a century of near-perpetual medieval warfare, French men and women finally celebrated in Notre Dame, thanking God for France's new supremacy over mainland Europe. As the years passed, renovations, alterations, and construction continued. During the Renaissance, the vibrant stained glass windows were actually replaced with clear ones to allow in more natural light. In addition, enormous tapestries were hung from the ceiling and from the flying buttresses in line with the fashion of the day. The French Estates General, a gathering of representatives from the various social classes, often met within the cathedral during the Renaissance. The Catholic clergy served as the first estate, and the nobles served as the second, while the third estate was comprised of the peasants. Immaculate statues looked on as French citizens discussed and debated how to best organize themselves in an ever-changing world. As the Protestant Reformation spread across Europe, challenging centuries-old status quo, religious turmoil arose in its wake. The island where Notre Dame sits was considered the cultural capital of Paris, and it saw some of the most brutish violence between Protestants and Catholics. Rioting French Protestants, called Huguenots, destroyed several statues in the cathedral, claiming that they were idolatrous to their Calvinist principles. Years later, Catholics, angered that the Princess of France was being married off to a Protestant, began a massacre of Huguenots in the French capital. Many French Huguenots were tortured and killed, and blood spilled on the Notre Dame Cathedral's very own steps. King Henry IV soon signed the Edict of Nantes, granting French Protestants some rights in France, but future King Louis XIV, known as the Sun King, revoked it, leading to more violence and forced removals of anyone who challenged the Catholic Church. 
King Louis the Sun King was fully backed by the Catholic hierarchy and soon became one of the most powerful absolute monarchs to ever live. The Notre Dame Cathedral remained his crown jewel. But in 1789, French citizens took up arms against the monarchy. Laborers and priests watched alongside the gargoyles as smoke arose from the Bastille Armory, which was now held by the revolutionaries. The French Revolution had begun in earnest. The Catholic Church had such close ties to the monarchy that it fared poorly in the wave of violence that spread through the city. All Catholic property, which accounted for over 10% of the total land area in France, was immediately seized. This included the Notre Dame Cathedral. Very soon, French revolutionary legislation dissolved all religious orders and nullified all monastic vows. Members of the clergy were allowed to leave, to return to the general populace and marry. Clergy that refused to follow the new order were exiled, tortured, or killed. But many remained, trying desperately to protect as much of their old tradition as they could, while keeping themselves away from the guillotine. A new Republican calendar was enforced upon the capital, which did away with the calendar as we know it, and replaced it with one that eliminated many holidays and introduced 10-day weeks. This new calendar made it difficult for priests to remember which day was actually the Sabbath. Church service attendance plummeted. The Notre Dame Cathedral was technically owned by the revolutionary government, an entity that decried religion. The massive church soon fell into a state of disrepair. Over the years, revolutionaries stripped Notre Dame of its valuables. Religious artifacts were stolen or destroyed in the streets as Christians tried to hide their shock for fear of punishment. Angry commoners, thinking the statues of saints were actually old French kings, decapitated many of the statues. Soldiers removed some of the enormous bells from the bell tower and melted them down to make more cannons for the war effort. Soon the revolution devolved into a bloody, chaotic affair, in what historians now call the Reign of Terror. Various factions fought for control of the young government, and blood ran in the streets as the guillotine was used liberally. During this period, all clergy members were forced out of the Notre Dame Cathedral as de-Christianization efforts ramped up throughout the capital. The final blow was when the Catholic faith was officially outlawed and replaced by the Cult of Reason, a secular substitution for all religion in France. All Catholic altars in the cathedral were torn down and replaced. Statues of the Virgin Mary were altered to resemble Lady Liberty. Congregations of revolutionaries celebrated their adherence to philosophy and the rejection of superstitions within the Notre Dame Cathedral that was built for the exact purpose that they were rebelling against. The backlash to the cult of reason was harsh. Many revolutionaries decried the desecration of the cathedral and relics, stating that the history within held value, despite how primitive and foolish the people who created it had been. Eventually, the cult of reason fell out of favor and was replaced by the more milder cult of the supreme being, backed by Robespierre. Invoking Voltaire's quote of, If God did not exist, it would be necessary to invent him. Robespierre believed that a belief in a higher power was essential for social order. The Notre Dame Cathedral was restored as a place of worship, albeit one lacking any specificity. 
vague deistic altars arose in the cathedral, many of which focused on fire and light. Robespierre's utilitarian state religion was fairly successful, but lost traction once Robespierre lost his head to the guillotine in 1794. For the latter part of the French Revolution, the once immaculate Notre Dame Cathedral served as a mere storehouse for food and supplies. In 1804, Napoleon seized power in France. The war hero was celebrated and fully backed by the Catholic Church. Napoleon outlawed the cult of the supreme being and returned the cathedral to the Catholic Church. He was crowned Emperor of France in the cathedral in a ceremony attended by the Pope. When the papal delegation arrived, Napoleon made many changes to the coronation to make it less like that of a king. He proclaimed, To be a king is to inherit old ideas and genealogy. I didn't descend from anyone. In an act that defied centuries of tradition, the Pope did not place the French crown on Napoleon's head. The new emperor instead insisted that he place it upon his own head. Long may he reigns echoed through the once again sacred halls of Notre Dame. Public funds poured in to help restore the church, but the damage had been done. In fits of rage, revolutionaries had cut into support beams, lit fires, and stripped the cathedral of anything of value. But the restoration effort continued until France's defeat in the Napoleonic Wars. The war-torn country was now bankrupt and could spare no funds for their old church on the River Seine. Once again, the church fell into a state of disrepair. It was during this time that a young architect by the name of Eugène Viollet-le-Duc became fascinated with medieval architecture and sought to restore what had been vandalized during the revolution. His top priority was the Notre Dame Cathedral. He rallied for enthusiasm to fund the repairs, but his calls mostly fell on deaf ears. He pitched various means of restoration for the beautiful old cathedral, but was rejected every time. He lamented about the state of the cathedral to his friend, author Victor Hugo. Hugo was touched by his friend's admiration for the medieval structure and set about writing a novel. Apparently basing the main character off a local deformed stonemason, Victor Hugo wrote the novel The Hunchback of Notre Dame. In it, he eloquently describes the majesty of the cathedral and nearly shames the citizens of Paris for their neglect of it. Here is a passage from chapter 14. Quote, the Church of Notre Dame de Paris is no doubt a majestic and sublime edifice, but beautiful as it has been preserved and growing old, it is difficult not to sigh, not to wax indignant before the numberless degradations and mutilations which time and men have both caused the venerable monument to suffer. Without respect for Charlemagne, who laid its first stone, or for Philip Augustus, who laid the last, on the face of this aged queen of our cathedrals, by the side of a wrinkle, one always finds a scar. Tempus edex, homo edesior which I should be glad to translate thus, time is a devourer, man more so. Unquote. The book was an incredible success and was quickly translated into several other languages. Before long, tourists from across Europe flocked to the Notre Dame Cathedral. Guilty of the monument's decaying state, French authorities immediately began gathering funds for the cathedral's restoration. Viollet-le-Duc, Victor Hugo's friend won the bid to lead the architectural restoration. 
Over the next several decades, a 2 million franc budget turned into a 12 million franc budget, as Leduc led hundreds of sculptors, glassmakers, and other craftsmen. Working from drawings and old engravings, Leduc remade or added decorations if he felt that they were in the spirit of the original style. The final addition was a spire rising from the central portion of the roof. The new and improved Notre Dame Cathedral was once again beloved. Through the turn of the century, visitors came from far and wide to witness Our Lady of Paris in person. However, the Industrial Revolution began to take its toll. Plumes of black smoke billowed from new smokestacks rising from coal-fired industrial plants across France. As the sky above the city darkened with pollution, so too the cathedral walls began to blacken. After the turn of the century, technological advancements coupled with humanity's age-old knack for conflict ushered in the war to end all wars. French parishioners, many missing their husbands and fathers and brothers, gathered in the Notre Dame Cathedral. They prayed that the Germans would not take Paris. They prayed that all of their loved ones would return home safely. They were granted the former, but not the latter. A few decades later, Europe was once again at war. Hitler's forces, acting with incredible speed in their various blitzkrieg attacks, quickly overwhelmed the French army. Clergymen began stacking sandbags around the Notre Dame Cathedral in an attempt to protect it from oncoming artillery shells. The protectors of the church cringed with each rumble of distant artillery. Before long, the citizens of Paris watched in horror as German troops entered the city undeterred. Parisians' lives were soon shaped by curfews, rationing, and Nazi propaganda. Paris was occupied by the Germans for nearly four years before resistance efforts began bearing fruit as Germany's demise approached. During that time, gunshots echoed off the cathedral walls. Stray bullets embedded themselves in the ancient stone and actually shattered a section of one of the massive stained glass windows. Eventually, the French capital was liberated by Allied forces, and the Notre Dame de Paris survived. On August 26, 1944, a special mass attended by the Allied forces was held in the cathedral to celebrate the liberation of the city from the Germans. Crowds filled the entire cathedral, and even more packed the streets outside. Shouts and tears of joy spread out from the church as the Allied forces celebrated their victory. The cathedral required extensive work in the post-war period. It wasn't just the stray bullets of the Germans that marred the cathedral walls. Decades of coal-fueled manufacturing in the wake of the Industrial Revolution had polluted the Parisian skies and had stained the cathedral walls soot black. In the years after the war, however, the first environmental regulations were instituted in an attempt to curb air pollution. Another effort, led by French culture minister André Malraux, began the work of cleaning the now soot-black walls of Notre Dame. After a tremendous effort with hundreds of workers, the facade and the cathedral's entire exterior were returned to its original off-white color. The restoration coincided with the 800th anniversary of the church. Continuing to today, the Notre Dame Cathedral has undergone many updates and upgrades using advanced technology. There is no fabled bell ringer, 
but instead the bells of Notre Dame are automated to ring by computer inputs. By 2017, 12 million people were visiting every year. But the cathedral had continued to show signs of deterioration that prompted the national government to propose a new renovation program in the late 20-teens. Ironically, it was these renovations that led to this. We are following an awful situation in Paris at this hour. The historic Notre Dame Cathedral is burning. The spire has collapsed. Flames burst through the roof just a short time ago. Uh, we've been watching this giant plume of smoke that can be seen all over Paris. Breaking news this hour. A fire has broken out at the historic Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. These are live pictures you're watching now. Firefighters are on the scene as large flames and huge clouds of smoke can be seen rising from the building. And the spire has... Thousands gathered on the banks of the River Seine, watching in horror as the building they so loved burned brightly against the sunset. Many cried out as the spire fell. Uh, but there's a lot of valuable, priceless artwork that is inside that cathedral. And what we're hearing right now is firefighters are working hard to try to save as much of that as possible. I mean, this is really an icon of Paris. Uh, and every moment that goes by, this fire is spreading. And so while they try to stop that fire, they're, they're trying to save what they can, the history of Paris. This is a, a Workers, priests, and law enforcement formed a human chain to evacuate the priceless religious relics that were stored in the now-burning cathedral. Firefighters fought valiantly to control the blaze. The attic, built of ancient timber, was called the forest, and it burned just like one. By sunset, thousands of Paris citizens watched from the banks of the river as the entire roof was now ablaze. A critical decision was made by the firefighters to focus on saving the outer structure while allowing the attic and roof to burn. It has been awful to watch, and we are now hearing that the... So the, the, the cathedral sits on an island. Police are now telling us that that entire island is being evacuated. People around the world mourned the loss of history. For the first time in years, the bells of Notre Dame were silent on Easter Sunday. French President Emmanuel Macron stated in a speech that the Notre Dame Cathedral would be repaired, stating a bold time frame of five years. Plenty of problems stand in the way of that lofty goal. For one, the size of timber required to rebuild the forest attic no longer exists. The logging industry across the world has cut down the most massive trees decades, even centuries ago. So, Whichever architect wins the bid to rebuild the roof and attic will be given some creative freedom. This has angered some historical purists, but remember, no history is static. Much like the fabled ship of Theseus, Notre Dame has undergone countless rebuilds, renovations, regime changes, and alterations. Over the centuries, that cathedral is constantly changed by the context that it survives into, with the ghosts of Notre Dame remaining. And if you look closely at the cathedral today, even despite the wreckage, you just might see them. A Roman worshiper of Jupiter hanging a potted plant, 
Frankish Christians singing hymns in the warm church as a blizzard rages outside. Viking raiders holding their bleeding wounds as they stumble through the rain. A tired knight in dented armor patrolling the cathedral grounds. A mob of revolutionaries toppling a statue. Shell-shocked great war veterans, missing arms and eyes, sitting in the pews. A French resistance fighter at the altar, praying to a god he might not even believe in, for deliverance from the Nazis. A simple clergyman, stooped over with age, doing their best to prepare for Sunday service. With all of these ghosts wandering the grounds of the Notre Dame Cathedral, I hope you can see that after the fire, despite the true and tragic loss, that the rebuild will be more than just an attempt to restore what was destroyed. Instead, consider it another phase in the story of a cathedral haunted by history. A cathedral that's never really finished. Historium is written and produced by me, Jake Barton. Our story editor is Thomas Harlander. Historium is a proud member of the collective of independent podcasts known as the Orbital Jigsaw Network. While working on this episode, there was a lot that didn't make it in. Um, There's an entire substory about ancient French cave paintings and the reason I think history is worth protecting. It didn't make the final cut, but I still find it incredibly fascinating, so I turned it into a bonus episode available for free on Patreon. You can listen to it at patreon.com historium. While you're there, consider supporting Historium for access to more bonus episodes, as well as access to the entire back catalog of stories that I've created. Over the years, I've created hours upon hours of content for completely free, but this is now a full-time job for me, And it's your support that enables me to continue telling these fascinating, sometimes bizarre, sometimes deeply moving stories from history. As always, thanks for listening.